Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 5, and what we're going to do this morning, a little bit different than normal, we're going to two chapters, chapters 5 and 6, and if you look at it, you go, wow, that's a lot, but it's narrative. We're going to go really fast through it because there's some amazing things that happen in there. So we're going to uh, continue, of course, our study of the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, as you remember, is a transition. It's a transition of the nation of Israel from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. The last judge is Samuel, that's the book is named after him, and the first king is going to be Saul, and we'll see that as we go through. We've seen already the background of Samuel. He's not only a priest, but he's a prophet. And, and whatever he says comes to pass. And he's also, the, it will be the final judge. As we said, a judge is the Greek, is the Hebrew word sofertim, which doesn't mean a judge with a robe on and giving decisions. Oh, he did do that some. It meant a deliverer. And he's going to actually be the one to help deliver them from the Philistines. That's who their enemy is at, at this point in time. Now, we've seen some really tragic things already. We have seen God's judgment on Israel and Eli's family. Eli, of course, was the high priest. We saw his judgment. They went into battle. They lost the battle. Many were killed. The ark was stolen. Eli's two sons were killed. Uh, Eli himself fell over backwards and broke his neck, and he died. And so it's just been a really, really sad time. And this morning, we're going to see what happens to the ark when it's in the hand of the enemy, the Philistines. Because at the end of the battle, the Philistines came up and took the ark, which should not have been there, should have stayed at the tabernacle. They took the ark of the covenant and took it with them. And we're going to see that they've got a god called Dagon, which is half man and half fish. And he's there, and they take the ark ark and set it in front of Dagon, basically saying, our God is better than your God. That's what they're saying. We're going to see what happens to the Philistines because they took the ark of the covenant, and we'll see what happens there. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you superstitious? Some people say, well, don't walk under a ladder or black cat or sports clothes. You know, you, if, I, if I, we won the game and I had these clothes on, so I better wear the same clothes next time we play, those kind of thing. Religion, sometimes it, it is superstition as well. Religion is trying to please God. I've always said this, that religion is man trying to please God, where true Christianity is God pleasing God. It is God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In this passage, we see superstition and religion. The Philistines get the ark, and then God begins to judge them, and so they, they think the ark, they think the box is God, and they got to figure out what to do about it, and we'll see what happens there. What do they do, and what can we gain from this? Well, we've seen a terrible time. I think last chapter, uh, chapter four, was really a horrible chapter because everything went wrong. We talked about it. Israel was defeated in the battle. 30,000 men were killed. The ark was stolen. It shouldn't have been there to begin with, and the priests were killed, and on top of the priests being killed, then Eli the high priest fell over backwards and died. And then one of his daughter-in-laws, she was having a baby, and as she had the baby, she died. And she named the boy Ichabod, which means the glory has departed because the Ark of the Covenant was gone. And they're saying everything has departed. The glory of God is gone. Now, we talked about this last week. They, they shouldn't have ever had the Ark there. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests. They actually went because the, Phil the Philistines had defeated them in a battle. They all said, if we just go get the ark and bring it out here, we'll win the battle. Well, we know the ark is a box. It's a golden box. We'll talk more about it in, in just a little bit. It's made out of wood covered over to gold with a golden lid. They went, in the ark of, they went into the tabernacle and got the Ark of the Covenant out of there. Now, let me just tell you something. They should, could have, never, should have never done that. It's called the Holy of, Holy of Holies. There's a holy place front room, Holy of Holies the back room. The only people that could go in the back room where the Ark was was the high priest and only once a year. And these two priests went in there, picked up the Ark, and took it out. Now, it's a wonder they hadn't died. 
Because we know that Uzzah, like years at the time of King David, Uzzah actually touched the ark and he died immediately. So why did not God kill them for doing that? We don't know. I think he wanted the ark to be out there. He wanted it to get captured. He wanted, he wanted to see what's going on. I mean, he wanted to show his power and his majesty even among the Philistines. So now we're going to see what happened. What happened to the ark? What happened when the Philistines got it? Now, let me remind you about the ark. The ark is a box. It's a picture of Christ. It's a wooden box covered over with gold. The wood represents his humanity. The gold represents his deity. It has a solid gold lid on the top with two cherubim, two angels with their wings spread out looking down. This was called the mercy seat, the place of propitiation. God would meet with his people. He would meet with the priest. He would meet there to cover over sin. And so it's, it's a very special aspect of it. We, remember we showed you pictures of it. I tell you, if you ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, that was a great replica of the ark. This is a pretty good replica of the ark. There's the two angels, the seraphim. They're, looking, they're supposed to be looking down on the, upon the mercy seat. And so we see what happened to the ark. And so let's look at uh, chapter 5, look at verse 1, and we'll go fairly quickly through this. It says, Now the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it before Dagon. What happened is they took it. Here's, the, here's, a, here's kind of a map. If you remember, the ark had been at Shiloh. They took it out to the battle, which was at Ebenezer and Aphek. They lost the battle. The Philistines took the ark, and they took it all the way down to the city called Ashdod. Ashdod was where the temple of Dagon was. So what they've actually done is this. They won the battle, killed all the people, stole the ark. They bring it back to their God, and what they're really saying is, our God is better than your God because we won the battle, and we're going to put your God in front of our God. And if you know, verse 2 says, Then the Philistines took the ark of God, brought it to the house of Dagon, and set it by Dagon. Now, the house of Dagon is, of course, there's five main cities of the Philistines, but the house of Dagon is where they kept this God, and we showed the picture of him last week. Dagon was a half-man, half-fish God, and I talked about this in the first service. I said, would you worship that? Do you think that's God? Do you think that's something you ought to fall down before? I mean, think about it. If you reject the true God, you will follow anything. You will worship anything. This is their God. It was called Dagon, half man, half fish. And I did some study. And some, some people say that Dagon was the father of Baal. That's Baal-zebub. That's another god. Some say that Baal was the father of Dagon. We don't know for sure, but his name is Dagon. Day is come from the word fish, gon from the word grain, and so he was the god of, of the fish and the grain. You remember these were called sea people. The Philistines came from, uh, from different parts of the world and crossed the sea, and when they got, they, they were nicknamed the sea people. So naturally, the fishing and grain, that was the key. And so their God is the God of the fishing and the God of the grain. And they thought they got a great victory. I mean, they said, we have defeated the, the Israelites, and not only did we defeat them, we killed 30,000 of them. We stole their ark. We killed their priests. We had the greatest victory of all. Well, Look what happened the next morning when they had put the Ark of the Covenant in front of this statue. Notice it says, When the Ashdodites rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set him up in his place. Now they got there the next morning, and when they went in to look at it, he was the, their, their statue had fallen over on his face, basically symbolizing that he's worshiping the true God. That's what, that's what it is. And they came in and went, oh, no. And they had to pick up their God. 
and set him back up, you know, maybe get a better base because we don't know why he fell over it in the night. But, I mean, can you think about that, that you sit your God up? There's, there's really only one God. I want you to understand this. There's no gods. There's one God, the true God. There are false gods. There are things that people worship as God. Behind ultimately any false worship is Satan, who is an angel, an angel of light who fools people. We all know how bad he is. And the bottom line is that this Dagon, it, when you're worshiping Dagon, you're worshiping false uh, uh, false gods, false everything. And so it says they, he fell over, and so they picked him up. And then look at this. But, so they set him up the next morning. But when they rose again early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. He fell over again. But notice this time. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off on the threshold only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. So when they come in the next morning, he fell over again, but his head and his hands were on the, the threshold where you walked into their little temple room. There's his head and hands. And there he is on the ground in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And so he, I think what God, it's kind of a funny way. God is just saying, that's no God. Let, let me re- let you read this. This is Psalm 115, verses 3 through 8. But look at this. It says, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths. They can't speak. They have eyes. They can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have noses. They can't smell. They have hands. They can't feel. They have feet. They can't walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. That's false gods. Years and years ago, I've told this story before, but years and years ago when Gene and I I mean, we're talking like 30 years ago. We were looking at a different house, and we saw one was for sale by owner. So we went one night to this house, knocked on the door. They had told us to come over, and we got there, and the people that lived in the house were not from, not from the United States. They're from a different country, a different part of the world. And as we walked in, we were looking around the house, and they had this little boy. He's about this big, and he started grabbing my pants leg and pulling it like this. And I went, yes, yes. And he looked at me, and he said, would you like to see my God? And I went, I mean, I said, well, sure. You know, what else are you going to say, you know? And so he took me into a room, and in a room it looked like a, like a, sort of like a dollhouse or something, but it was like this big. It went up like this, and then it had a roof that went like this, and had two doors right there. And when he opened the doors, there was a statue about that big in there. And he said, this is my God. And I, I, just, I didn't really know what to say. His mom and daddy standing there, and, and I just said, hmm, oh, okay, well. I almost wanted to say, I hope he doesn't trip over or don't lose him or anything. But anyway, when you think about it, that when, when you reject the true God, you'll worship anything. You'll worship anything. Well, they got up that second morning and he'd fallen over again, only his head and the palm of his hands were broken off. And then and notice what this goes on to say is that therefore neither the priest of Dagon, verse 5, nor all who enter Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. That means where his head was, I guess they picked it up later, but from that point on, nobody ever stepped right there because his head and hands had been there. And so they're, they're not sure what to do. Their, their God has fallen over two times now. This is where we get to the part that gets a little bit different, okay? Notice verse 6. Now the hand of the Lord was heavy on the Ashdites. He ravaged them and smote them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territories. Now what he did is God 
struck them with a disease. We're going to talk about it in a minute, but the best that we can tell as you go through the whole passage that God allowed rats to come in, mice and rats to come in, and it brought disease, and they got probably the bubonic plague or something like that because they got these tumors. And by the way, the Hebrew word for tumor there is hemorrhoids. They developed hemorrhoids or tumors in the growing area. In fact, that's what the word means. It means a swelling in the growing area. And so he sent that on them. I know it's kind of kind of funny when you think about what he did to these people, but it's because they are worshiping a false god, and he wants them to realize, look, I'm, I'm God, and I can do anything I choose to do. And so they got disease. We'll, we'll read it later on that these mice and rats and things came in and probably brought the disease. I read some things about the bubonic plague, and one of the... Aspects of the disease is swelling in the groin area. So that's whatever, that may be what happened and what he did, but we know that he sent in uh, rats and mice because we'll see it a little bit later as well. So it says, when the men of Ashdod, verse 7, saw this, so they said, oh no, the God of, the God of, the Ark of the God of Israel will not remain with us for his hand is severe on us and on Dagon. They said, we don't want it around here. You know, they're in Ashdod. They said, let's, let's do something. Let's do something with it. So verse 8, so they sent and gathered the lords of the Philistines, each of the cities. There are five major cities of the Philistines. They brought the lords of the Philistines, the leaders from those cities. They brought them together, and they said, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? What are they going to do? And they said, let the ark of the God of Israel be brought to Gath. And they brought the ark of God of Israel around. They brought it to Gath. Now, there, there are five key cities, Gath, Ekron, Ashdod, Gaza, and Ashkelon. And so they brought it. Here's where they originally brought it. They brought it all the way down to Ashdod. Now they've taken it over to Gath. Now, when you hear Gath, if you've studied the Bible much at all, you remember Gath is the city of Goliath. Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. He's the one that fought David. David hit him in the head with a rock and killed him. He had four brothers as well. So there were five really giant guys from the city of Gath. So they decide, let's take it from Ashdod because we're getting all these diseases. Let's take it over to Gath. Now, if you're living in Gath, what do you say? Uh, I don't think we want the thing. What, what do you mean bring it over here? And so they brought it over there. And verse 9 basically says that, uh, that let's see, did they, did they, did they, yeah, let me put the next slide up if it'll go. Yeah, they take it to Gath and said, and they brought it around. The hand of the Lord was against the city with a great confusion. And he smote the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. Now, when I really study this, it doesn't say anything about the women. It says that the tumors were on the men. That's what it says. So anyway, this is happening to the men. And it says both young and old, the tumors came out. And by the way, it's the same word. Hemorrhoids broke out. The plague came upon the city. So what are they going to do? If you live in Gath, what would you do? Let's send it somewhere else. So look what the next thing says. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. And as the ark of God came to Ekron, the Ekronites cried out saying, why have they brought the ark of the God of Israel around to us to kill us and our people? And so they're going to take it to Ekron. And if you notice on the map, it went to Ashdod, then it went to Gath, and then it's Ekron. Now on this map, you can see this line. This dividing line is basically the line that shows the land of the Philistines and the land of the Israelites. The Philistines lived in this section. There were five cities in there. The Jews lived in this section. So you live, they live right by each other. That's why they fought each other all the time. So now it's been taken to the city of Ekron. And the people in Ekron said, don't bring it here because we don't want to die. They brought the ark to kill us as well. That's, that's what they're saying. And so if you look at verse 11... 
It says, Then therefore they gathered the lords of the Philistines. Again, they got those people from the five cities. Send away the ark of God of Israel. Let it go to its own place so that it will not kill us and our people. For there was deadly confusion throughout the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. It goes on to say, And the men who did not die were smitten with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. You know what they said? Let's send it back. Let's send it back. We don't want it. We don't want it. And what they're actually beginning to say is maybe the God of Israel is better than our God. What they should have said is maybe the God of Israel is the true God. Maybe, maybe instead of Dagon and all this other stuff, maybe we should look into who the God of Israel is. But they don't do that. They just say, let's get rid of him. Let's get rid of the God of Israel. They think the box is God. You understand that? They think the box is God. The box isn't God. We know that. It's just where God sometimes would make his presence known for the Israelites. So many people died. And so now with chapter 5, they got to figure out what to do. we got to send this back. So look at chapter 6, verse 1. Now, the ark of the Lord had been in the country of the Philistines seven months. It wasn't a few days. It wasn't a few weeks. It has taken seven months for it to go to these different places and all the people to be sick and all this stuff that happened. And so now they, they've decided to do something. If you were a Jewish person, what would you do? The Ark of the Covenant's been gone for seven months. Think about that. The Ark of the Covenant is where God would make his presence known. So that's huge. It's huge. So look what happened. Now, the Ark of the Lord had been in the country of the Philistines seven months, and the Philistines called for their priest and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the Ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. They're actually saying this. How do we send this box back? I mean, you remember, it's, it's a box, and it's got poles on the side, and people could pick it up on the poles and carry it. That's how it's supposed to be carried. We don't know how they got it. They may have put it on a cart. We don't know what they did with it. Now they're asking the big question, how do we get this box back to the Jews? Because we don't want it anymore. We don't want it. So what are we going to do? How are we going to send it back to them? And if you notice, it's described there as the Ark of the Lord, all four capitals, L-O-R-D, which is the personal name of God. So they bring in their priest, the people, the religious people, and the diviners, those people who are supposed to tell the future, and they say, how do we get this thing back? So look what it says in verse 3. They said, if you send away the Ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, for you shall surely return to him a guilt offering. Let's, let's show that we've done mess, we've messed up. Then you will be healed and it will be known to you why this hand is not removed from you. If they said, if we send it, don't send it back empty. I mean, we, we got to give him a present. I mean, we got, we, this God is getting on us really bad, so let's send it back, but let's send a present with it. You know, send him something he might like. Send him something so he won't be mad at us. That's what they're really saying. And so if you notice, it says... Then they said in verse 4, well, what shall, we, what shall be the guilt offering? What we shall return to him? And they said, five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the Lord of the Philistines, for one plague was on all of you and on your lords. And so they said, the best thing to do is to, to send back the five golden hemorrhoids, five golden tumors, and five golden mice. Why is that? Why? And, you know, that's kind of a picture of what somebody said, that they took and shaped pieces of gold, gold to look like rats or mice, to look like those, the boils or whatever it was, and they're going to send this to the cities, one for each of the five cities of the Philistines. That's why there's five, five of each. They're saying from each of these cities, we're sending these gifts, and that's what they're hoping. They, they could see the power of God. 
And notice it says, uh, at verse 5 says, So you shall make likenesses of your tumors and likenesses of your mice that ravage the land. That's why we said earlier that mice came in there and all this stuff and brought disease and everything. And he says, And then you shall give glory to the God of Israel, perhaps. He will ease his hand from you and your gods and your land. Now, think about this. You're admitting that the God of Israel is so, is so much better and that you're going to give him some gifts. Hopefully, he'll let up the pressure on you and your gods and your land. You wish they would say, why don't we look and see who the God of Israel really is? Why don't we see who this God is? Because they know something. If you notice verse 6, why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when he had severely dealt with them? Did they not allow the people to go when they departed? They're thinking back and they said, and they knew 400 years earlier how the Jewish people had left Egypt. And everybody knew that story. Listen, do you, you understand that the story of Ju the Jewish people being slaves in Egypt, that's not a, that's not a story. That's true. And even at this time, some 400 years after, they still know. And let me tell you, they know to this day. I can still remember, and I've been back when Jimmy Carter was the president, and there was Anwar Sadat of, of Egypt and Menachem Begin of Israel, and they met together and had a peace treaty, first one ever between the Arabs and the Jews, first one. And I can remember seeing that President Carter was in the middle, Menachem Begin was right there, and the, the president of Egypt, Anwar Sadat, was right there. And Chibi Carter talked about how hard it was to come together. And Anwar Sadat said, we really worked hard to put this together. And Menachem Begin said, but not as hard as my people did when they were slaves to you. They never forget. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And the Bible is always true. And so he says, we got to send him back. We got to send him back because we don't want the same thing to happen to us. So here's what they, they've come up with a plan. We'll go really quickly through this. Now, therefore, take prepare a milk cart, a new cart, and some milk cows on which there's never been a yoke. Hitch the cows to the cart. Take the calves away from them. Take the ark of the Lord. Put it on the cart. Put the articles of gold which you return to him as a guilt offering in a box by its side. Then send them away. So what they're going to do is they're going to get a new cart, never been used, two cows, never been yoked. They're going to put it all together, they're going to, and by these cows would naturally go back to their calves, that's what would naturally happen, and they're going to put the ark on there, and they're going to put a box, and in the box they're going to put the five golden t uh, tumors, and the five golden mice, and they're going to put all that together, and they're going to say, okay cows, we're going to put you in the right direction, and we want you to go. Now here's what we think, if the cows go straight to Beth Shemesh, it must be God, because the cows would naturally want to turn around and come back to their calves. So if it goes by itself to Beth Shemesh, it must be from God. Look what it goes on to say. Verse 9, watch if it goes by way of its own territory to Beth Shemesh when he has done us this great evil. If not, then we'll just know it was just by chance. They said, we're going to put it on a cart, and if it makes it there by itself, God did it. If they come back and come to their calves, it's just... We've just had some real bad luck. I mean, what kind of thought is that? So they hooked the cows to the cart. They took away their calves. They head down, and you can see them. And I, I love that verse where it says, they, they, uh, they, so the men took the two milk cows, hitched them to the cart, shut up their calves at home, put the ark of the Lord on the cart, and the box with the golden mice and the likeness of their tumors. And the cows took 
the straight way into the direction of Beth Shemesh. They went along the highway, lowing as they went. They did not turn to the right or to the left, and the Lord of the Philistines followed them. Now, can you imagine this, that they're, the, the, these rulers are following this wagon, this cart with the ark on it, and, the, and they're watching to see if it's going to make it all the way to the little town of Beth Shemesh. That's what they're hoping it is, but the calves are heading that way. Their calves, they left for their, for their calves, they just headed toward Beth Shemesh. They didn't go to the right or the left. Now, what happened when it gets to Beth Shemesh? Look at this. Now, the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they raised their eyes, and they saw the ark. They saw it coming. They went, oh, my gracious, we haven't seen it in seven months. The cart came into the field of Joshua, the Beshemite, and he stood there, and there was this big stone. And they split the wood of the cart. They offered the cows as burnt offerings to the Lord. The Levites came and took down the ark of the Lord, and the box was with it, which had the articles of gold, and they put them on the large stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. They did. They did the right thing. By the way, if on this map, they left Ekron, and they went. Those cows went all the way across and went right to Beth Shemesh. And so there they are. And the, and the people at Beth Shemesh came out. They got it, and they killed the cows and offered them as sacrifices. They chopped up the ark and made it a fire, and then they offered sacrifices, and they took the ark of the covenant, and they called the priest. They called the Levites. Levites came in. Levites are the only people supposed to hold the, the ark. And so they did the right thing. And the Levites came and got the ark. Everything looks good at this point. But something's fixing to happen. But anyway, I want you to notice this. That in verse 16, when the lords, uh, five lords of the Philistines, when they saw it, they returned to Ekron. They were watching to see. And when it got to the field and the Jewish people got the ark, they said, it's over. We're going back home. And they went back home. Now, notice this. Verse 17 gives an explanation. These are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned for a guilt offering for the Lord, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron. And the golden mice, according to the number of the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both of the fortified cities and the country villages. The large stone in which they set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua the Beshelmite. And they're saying that whoever wrote this, that day, that stone was still there in that field where they did the sacrificing. So it's big. This is big. But something happens. Something happens. And um, all this, the big stone, uh, each one for the cities of the Philistines. Now watch what happened. He, God, struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck down all of the people, 50,070 men. And the people mourned because the Lord has struck the people with a great Slaughter and the men of Bethshemah said, "Who is able to stand before the Lord our holy God? And to whom shall go him go up for us?" It says that they looked into the ark. People died because they looked into the ark. Now let me just tell you something. It says fifty thousand seventy. Okay, that's a that's a lot of people, don't you think? Now here's the ark. Some people say this that a guy went up, looked down in the ark, and died. Next guy said, "I'll take a chance." I don't think so. I think what happened is the people looked down in the ark, they turned and walked away, and as they got further away, they began to die. Because I think if four or five people looked in the ark and died, I don't think the rest of the people were going to look in the ark. But it says 50,070. Now, that seems like a lot of people. And you understand that Hebrew words, like numbers, it's little marks. 
And there's not but about one or two little marks that make the difference between 50,000, 70, and 70. So some people say it's probably 70 people that looked into the ark. But the best manuscripts, this is the Masoretic text going back into the Hebrew, the best manuscripts have 50,070. So if you ask me, did 70 people die or did 50,070? I have to say that 50,070 sounds like a lot of people for that area. But if the scripture said 50,070, I'd say 50,070. Uh, if you want to say 70, that's fine, whatever. But people died for looking in the ark, and they weren't supposed to. So what did they decide to do? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirith Jerim, saying, the Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come and take it. And so what they decided to do is they sent the ark to Kirith Jerim. Now let me show you this. This is the story. The ark was in Shiloh. They took it to the battle. They lost the battle. The Philistines took it to Ashdod. All the tumors broke out and the, and the mat, mice. So they took it down to Gath. The same thing happened. They took it to Ekron. Same thing happened. They said, we got to get rid of it. They took it over to Beth Shemesh. When people died by looking in there, they said, people from Kadesh Jerim, come get this thing. And they came and got it. And by the way, in chapter 7, we won't read that. Chapter 7, it stayed in Kadesh Jerim for 20 years. And the next time it's moved, it is moved to Jerusalem. King David brings it to Jerusalem. So the, the, it was in Shiloh. Shiloh gets destroyed later. So it never comes back to Shiloh. It stays at Kareth Jerim for over 20 years. And then eventually it comes to Jerusalem. So what have we seen? Let me give you some things to go really quickly. Number one, let's worship our true God. Let's, let, listen, if you, if you reject the true God, you'll believe anything. Listen, the nation has lost the ark. They thought it was a good luck charm. The Philistines thought it was just some kind of little God. The truth is this. We have the true God who is all-powerful, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He loves us with an everlasting, unconditional love. He loves us. He is our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer, our provider, our protector. He is everything. Let's worship him. Let's study the Bible. Let's see him. Let's know his character. Let's worship the true God. Understand that religion cannot please God. It can't. Religion is man trying to do something to get to God. Religion always looks for something from the outside in. Do all these rules and you'll be okay. Never works. True Christianity, God changes us from the inside out. He makes us a new creation on the inside and he says, live out who you are. The last thing is, um, let's understand that sin brings death. When the Jewish people looked in the ark, they died. Because we, we sinned and come short of the glory of God, we owed God death. So Jesus Christ came and died in our place. The wages of sin is death, Jesus Christ died. When we talk about the Christian life, when we sin, we die. That's We break fellowship with God. That's why we're to confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I know it's sort of a little long passage, but you had to put the whole thing together to understand it.